Two weeks ago, we looked at the first chapter. And it discussed the concept of our suffering now. That rings a little loud for me. That's better. Our suffering now being a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that when Christ returns... We will receive rest. And those that are persecuting us will receive just recompense, which is the wrath of God. Now in the first letter to the Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul had focused on the resurrection and what a beautiful sight it was and day it will be. And so this is the other side of that same coin where it's not just unmitigated joy for God's children. It sure will be. Um, But for His enemies, it's a day of, of wrath. Now, there have been those who were telling the Thessalonians that that day is just about to happen. Right around the corner. So much so that later in this letter there are some who just quit working. We'll just sit down, we'll live off the common good, and and it'll all be wrapped up, so I don't have to work anymore. (laughs) Um, And that's when he's talking about, you know, those who don't work don't need to eat. And so, there is some mile markers, or major milestones, let's see, another signpost. Not the word I'm looking for. If you're trying to give somebody directions, and you don't want to tell them the street, what do you... Landmarks. That's the word. He's going to get some landmarks. Alright? Landmarks for when you'll know that Christ is getting close to coming. Okay? So it's discussed this this great notable day in chapter 1. So chapter 2 starts, Now I beseech you, I'm begging you, I'm asking you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him. That's the day that we're looking for. Him coming and the gathering together. And that gathering together um, is a unique Greek word. Um, It means a complete collection. It's only used one other time, and that's in Hebrews 10.25, about not forsaking the assembly together, the complete collection of the local church. That's what's discussed there in Hebrews Gathering together. It's a complete collection. Here, the context is the gathering together of the entire church. This is every member of God's family. I'm begging you by these things that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Alright, so your big point is that someone's going to tell you that the day of Christ is right now. And that word at hand literally means to be placed in the hand at the instant. You ever heard of bird in the hand, bird in the bush? I'm saying that it's, it's not just right here. 
there's some things that are going to have to happen first, and this is this is going to be difficult to talk through. This is something I've, I've never heard preached. So I'm going to give you a lot of scripture because that's the safest thing I can do. I don't care about my opinion. All I can say is these are the patterns that I've seen in Scripture, and this is what we're learning about and pointing to. But he's saying, I don't want you to be shaken in mind. All right, and that shaken means to waver. Um, Now, be shaken in mind, neither troubled, troubled to be disturbed in your mind. Um, Well, shaken in the mind or troubled, trouble actually means to wail. To clamor, to scream. Okay, so if someone is coming, whether it be a spirit that comes or a word, somebody spoken orally, or a letter, regardless of the source, you don't need to be troubled and scared, frightened that the day is just at hand, that it's about to happen. Okay, now those sources. Things we don't really like to think about, right? By a spirit. Well, what's a spirit? That could be an angel. Just in general, a spirit can refer to angels. It can refer to demons, devils. Um, it can include visions sent by them, dreams. Um, Satan has the ability to transform himself into an angel of light. So we're in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. Let's just look at that real quick. It's not something we talk about very often, but it's needful. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 13 through 15. And it's discussing false apostles. Those who claim to be special messengers sent by God. Those that have seen the risen Christ and teaching a different, different gospel. It says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers, those his servants, also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So there is all manner of things that can try to deceive you. Regardless of the source that comes to you, you check it against Scripture. Okay? So whether it's a spirit or by word, that can be one of those false teachers there. False teachers, false apostles, um, false Christs. Go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. This is Jesus speaking. He gives a warning. In the context, the disciples have asked, when shall these things be? And they're talking about immediately, he said, the destruction of the temple. When will that be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? And what shall be the sign of the end of the world? It's in verse 3. And this is what he starts with his answer. Jesus said, answered and said unto them, take heed, beware, that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying... I am Christ and shall deceive many. Alright? I've heard probably a lot of people talk about antichrist. Right? Anti means opposite. 
An antichrist is one who denies Christ. I think one that's probably a greater danger for us is a pseudo-Christ. Ever heard of pseudo-foot, right? False foot. Um, Pseudo-Christ. Biology, false foot. Remember that from a long time ago. False Christ. One who claims to be the Christ. Um, And will deceive many. This is not just some nut who everyone looks at and says, well, you're not. This is something that's convincing and dangerous. So whether it be a spirit or word by anybody, preacher, false teacher, false apostle, false Christ, take heed that you be not deceived. Or by letter. So this, this epistle is written to them. He said, if you receive any other letter that says the time of Christ is just at hand, don't be scared. Don't waver in your mind. Don't panic. Don't wail in fear. You know, this whole idea of standing fast, it's been and basically in every epistle that we've looked at. Stand fast. Hold fast. The message is still there. Okay? All right. So milestones, mile markers, landmarks, that's the word. Let no man deceive you by any means, regardless of source, regardless of arguments. For that day shall not come except there be, got two things here, a falling away first and that and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Alright? So, he's given us two landmarks. Is this everything that will occur before then? No. It's not. But these are two major ones. What's he trying to do? He's trying to give these people assurance and peace that they don't have to be deceived because these two major things have to happen first. Alright? If I gave you directions on how to get from here to California, would I tell you how many McDonald's you're going to pass? Dollar Generals. Can't count that high, right? But I could tell you, you're going to cross the Mississippi, and the route I give you, you're going to pass the Grand Canyon. Would you miss those? No, they're like big, major landmarks so that you can have assurance. I drove over the Mississippi a mile long. There's no other river that comes any close. That's the Grand Canyon. Yes, I know that's the Grand Canyon. Big, major things. So if those haven't happened yet, what can you do? Not be shaken. Not be terrified. Okay? So, two major things. We have one, a falling away, and two, a revealing of an individual. It's described here, we've got different names. The revealing of that man of sin, the son of perdition. Later down in verse 8, it'll describe him as that wicked. Verse 7, describe him as the mystery of iniquity. Two major events. A falling away and the revealing of someone who's got some really bad titles. Okay? Now, if I just started pontificating and speculating using my opinion, y'all could just go ahead and leave. (coughs) But we're going to go look at Scripture and see what we can glean, what else talks about events like this so we can see what Scripture says about it. That's That's how we learn. That's our measuring stick. Whatever I think or speculate beyond that is of no value. Okay? So, 
major event one is a falling away. <coughs> well, what does that mean? The word, Greek word, will sound familiar. It's apostia. We heard of apostasy. A departure from the truth is how Strong's defines it. It's only used one other time. And it's actually interestingly used in Acts 21.21. The context there is that the apostles are talking to Paul. He's come to Jerusalem, and they're saying, people are worried that you're saying that we don't have to follow the law anymore, and so you need to you know, go shave your head and um, go observe something at the temple. And that's when he's actually going to be arrested. But it was the departure from the law of Moses that that other word appears. Um, so... Those are only two clues on that word. So that's not a whole lot to go off of. Right? So I need some more information about what, what does this mean, falling away? How do we know this means a departure from the truth? The root word there means something is separated. Um, specifically, it's used in a divorce. There's a separation. Right? So it seems to be a separation from the truth and the truth of the gospel, but I need more information to feel confident in that. And so I want you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're trying to figure out what it means by falling away. 1 Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> now the Spirit, Holy Spirit, speaketh expressly, that means distinctly, no ambiguity here. It means clearly. The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. The expression last days is used frequently in the New Testament, and it can vary depending on context what, what exactly it's referring to. This word, latter times, is only used once here. Right? The furthermost days. And it's going to describe some things that sound like a falling away to me. Right? So, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. That depart means to remove from the faith, to, to, um, to revolt or to abandon. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Seducing spirit means an imposter, a misleader. Spirits, again, um, we discussed that. It could be an angel, it could be a demon, it could be whatever. Um, but the point is that it, it's, it is leading astray, and there are people who are going to follow it. And doctrines of devils. Um, doctrine means instruction, it means teaching. And the word devil um, literally means demonic. Um, it, it gives a special emphasis on their evil nature. Right? And this would probably be a good time to remind you about Ephesians chapter 6. We spend a lot of time um, talking about the armor of God. Right? It's important to put it on and wear it and understand it. But in the preamble to talking about the armor of God, you got to know who your enemy is. Ephesians 6.12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. That means a government structure, but it's not a government of flesh and blood. Against powers, 
against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Your enemies are not flesh and blood. They're not somebody of a different political party. They're not somebody who disagrees with your opinions. They're not even non-Christians. Okay? That's all in the Lord's hand. Your enemies are not flesh and blood. It is a spiritual battle. Something you don't like to think about. And something I don't like to think about. Back in Daniel, he was praying. He had a vision and he asked um, for some clarity on what it was. And he prayed and he fasted and he had to wait three weeks. And eventually an angel showed up and said, I came as soon as you called three weeks ago, but I was hindered by the king of Persia. And one of the archangels had to come down and help him out. What can hinder an angel? Not a man. So this is a small glimpse into a world that we don't see or understand. Okay? So these servants of Satan will come. All right, go back to 1 Timothy 4. And they will seduce. They will speak lies. They will have false doctrines. And it says in verse 2, 1 Timothy 4, 2, speaking lies, erroneous doctrine, in hypocrisy. It's acting under a feigned part. They know they're lying. This isn't the ignorant soul who's doing the best he can and he's wrong. That could be me. (laughs) But this is someone who knows that it's wrong. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. It means you've just been uh, absolutely numb to it. You get branded. You get a real bad wound. You're not going to feel that tenderness there anymore. That's the idea of your conscience is branded. And so these will be individuals who are then spreading these doctrines. Forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving. So it gives two examples. There's nothing, nothing in Scripture that says you can't get married. Or that you can't be married unless you want to be, if you want to be a priest or a preacher, you can't get married. There's nothing in Scripture that says that. In fact, the qualifications say you should be a husband of one wife. That's good preacher training to be a husband. And so that idea is completely false. The other idea there of forbidding to marry is, well, you can't marry so-and-so because they're not of your fill-in-the-blank. Trying to take that notion that was given to the nation of Israel, that you'll stay separate, and pulling that forward into the Christian law, it's not there. Okay? So these are just two examples. And then, you know, abstaining from each. Well, you can't eat that. You know, that's it's not in compliance with the Jewish you know, food laws. You're not under those laws. But someone who's trying to pull that in is teaching these false doctrines. So there'll be a falling away. So that's just two examples. Will there be others? Yes. Okay? So you hear, we're talking about what a big mile, what a major mile circus is going to be a falling away. Right? So here's a little bit of information about that. Let's see what else we can glean about this falling away. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Perilous means dangerous. A reduction in strength or fury. Perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Right, and let me just preface this. This is a description of people claiming to be Christians. Okay? This is inside churches. This is not a description of the world. 
For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Well, that's idolatry. You love yourself. You're not loving God first. Lovers of their own selves. Covetous, desiring stuff. Boasters. Let me show you what all great things I've done, how proud I am. Proud. Blasphemers, speaking that which is wrong and contrary to the Word of God. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. Without natural affection. True spakers, false accusers, incontinent, or inconstant, not a constant friend, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. Right? So this is how you know it's in the church. They have a form of piety, a form of devotion, a form of religiousness, but they've got all these other, contra- you know, Characteristics say they have no business. They don't care about God. They care about themselves. So they have this form, this look, the appearance of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Well, God's not really in charge of my life. I don't report to Him. I'm not subject to His law or Scripture. It says, From such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So these are going to be those who make it the point to lead others astray and lead them in paths that are not good. It says you need to avoid them. And so they're always learning, you know, just like the Greeks. They want to learn the next best thing. Always learning and never actually coming to true knowledge. And then it gives a reference back to the Old Testament. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses. So those are the names of the two um, Egyptian priests. And the priests battle. Here's my stick. That's now a snake. Well, here's my stick. It's now a snake, right? Well, they, they battled with Moses. It says, So these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, reprobate or worthless concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further. For their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs was also. Right? They got to the lice um, in Exodus and the priests were like, we, we can't copy that. And then it continued on and they got drilled and drilled and um, the nation of Egypt was just thoroughly whooped and you could see who won that. You know, Moses who worked for the real God says these guys are going to have a limit that they're allowed to go to as well. And then there's going to be a revealing where it shows, here it is, it's plain. Jump down to verse 12. Say, yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You ever heard that on a televangelist show? Probably not. Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus, not just the form of godliness and having all that other garbage of the world, but actually... Serving God from the heart and trying to act and look like His Son and act like the child of God that you are, you'll suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers, those who are trying to deceive, shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. They're going to buy their own Kool-Aid. They're going to drink it. And that's not a loaded term there, but the idea of this false doctrine is just going to... There are those who are going to be giving it out, and those who are going to be drinking it readily. But what's the message for us? 
But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to describe what all scripture is good for. It's for confounding all those notions. That if you're stable and settled in your understanding in the scripture, you won't be seen waving or shaken. Alright? So there's going to be a falling away from the faith. There are those who are going to have the appearance of faith and take on that label, and there's going to be um, false Christs and false paths, and evil men are going to wax worse and worse. Go back to Matthew 24. Jesus would describe this. Matthew 24. And we're just going to read the whole, start from verse 1, so you've got the exact verbiage. Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temples. So they're walking out and Jesus, look at these temples. Wow. It took 47 years to build them, we learned earlier. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? He said, Yeah, you see Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And there were signs. And they walked out of town up the hill to Mount Olive. They sat on the Mount Olives. And the disciples came to him privately. It was just the four brothers, James and John, Peter and Andrew, who would come to him privately. You can see that in account over in Mark or Luke. And the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us. We've got three questions. Tell us, when shall these things be? Which things? Instruction of the temple. And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Okay. You've got three different questions. These are some big questions, right? And this is this, the rest of the chapter is how he answers those three questions. So Jesus says, answer them and said, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I'm Christ and shall deceive many. And, verse 6, ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. So there's battles going on somewhere. And rumors of potential wars. Notice that you're hearing and you're not actually engaged in it. It's it's somewhere else. It's just that kind of over there. See that you be not troubled. Okay? For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes and in diverse places, diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So you want to capture the name for this period? He describes it as the beginning of sorrows. They're going to come to pass, but it's not the end yet. After that, it says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations, for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because... Iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. 
So when does this falling away sound like it's going to happen? After the beginning of sorrows. Okay? But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Okay? So you've got this period. There's false teachers there. False Christ. There's the beginning of sorrows. And then there's going to be this persecution where those who are godly, trying to genuinely follow God, are going to have a very hard time. Persecuted, killed, betraying one another. It can be very close. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. These are the verses I've found thus far that seem to expand on this idea, this first landmark of a falling away. Let's go back to 2 Thessalonians and start looking at the second landmark. Second Thessalonians, chapter 2. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of Christ being just at hand, it's not just at hand, except there be a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself, above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? So Paul, when he was there in Thessalonians, had, had given them some information. He'd only been there three Sundays. He covered a whole lot. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. But they, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved, and for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So that's all the description we get there of this revealing of this individual. Described as the man, that man, excuse me, that man of sin. The son of perdition. Right? That, the man there, that word man there, is a, means man-faced. Individual. Of sin means literally a sin or offense. Uh, the son of perdition. Perdition is ruin, loss, damnation, destruction. This is the same title that Jesus would give to Judas. It's not referring to Judas here. This is, Judas is already dead at this point. He committed suicide. Um, but Satan entered into Judas on two different occasions. That's at least recorded. Once when he put it, he went into him. When he went to the 
temple to say, hey, I got an idea. I'll sell them out for you for 30 pieces of silver. All right? Before that, it says, uh, Satan went into them. And then again, at the supper table, Satan entered into him and he went out. Um, he was a pawn for Satan. Right? There's spiritual warfare going on and he was, he was used. Um, so that son of perdition, he was one who was working for that which will ultimately be destroyed. All right. The same idea um, being the son is how Jesus in uh, John chapter 8, 44, talking to those Pharisees, who says that you are of your father, the devil. They're sons of perdition. That's who they work for. Right. So we've got four different titles here. That man of sin... Son of perdition, of ruin or loss. That wicked, the word wicked there means lawless, without laws or transgressor, the transgressor. And then the fourth one is there, the mystery of iniquity. And iniquity um, means illegality, violation of law, wickedness. I mean, it's a pretty clear pattern in all these. Um, and that mystery means it's, it's, it's secret, it's withheld. Um, those verses talking about letting what are you talking about letting the word letting means to cover there's something that is covering him right now and as long as that's covered he's going to remain covered but then when it's time and his time is up that which is covering is going to be removed and it's going to be made plain kicker here is that you can see that he is already working okay it's the first attribute that you learn about this person he is already Working, right? So, were we just talking about a man? No. We've got a spiritual battle going on, and this is describing the spiritual foe. Alright? He is already working. It's verse 7. He's hidden right now. There's something that stands in the middle between us and recognizing it. And when his time is up, it'll be revealed. And what happens when it's revealed? That's when Christ is coming, he's going to kick his tail. Right? He's going to consume him. These are the description. And when that wicked shall be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Right. After there's the revealing, you'll have the Lord come. What's the interval in between there? I don't know exactly. But I know that he's going to be revealed. That's your next major landmark because it would be a revealing. It's already working. And when he's revealed, the Lord is going to dispatch him. Consume means to basically to use completely up to destroy um, and to destroy is just what you think. To render worthless, idleless, put down, put away. To destroy with the brightness of His coming. That brightness means the, uh, the His appearing, the appearance of the Lord being present. Alright? So, what else do we know about this individual? This, uh, that wicked, that son of perdition. We know he's currently working. We know he's not Satan. Go down and look at verse 9. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. Not Satan himself, but someone who works for him and he is using um, powers, whatever, that have been allotted to him by his boss. And so there are certain things that he has been allotted. After the working of Satan with all power 
signs, lying wonders, and with all deceivableness. Okay? Power. That's that word we've looked at before, dunamis, often it's referring to God. Now, when it says all power here, that's not the same as God having all the power. But he may have all the power that Satan has. And he has. Satan's a powerful foe. So there is a manner of power or force that he has that's allotted to him. This is not just an individual. This is not just a kingdom. This is not just a government. This is a spiritual foe who has got a manner of power that's been allotted to him. Signs. Signs are miracles, wonders, indications, omens. Things that you would associate with a supernatural. That's something that can't be explained. How is he going to deceive people? By doing things that are supernatural. That can't be explained. How are you going to convince somebody that you're the Christ? All powers and signs and lying wonders. And that word lying wonders literally means omens. Okay, so he has the ability to deceive. Who's his target audience? With all deceitfulness of unrighteousness in them that perish. The non-elect. Okay. Here's the short answer. You're going to believe something. You're either going to have faith in God, because God's given you that faith and you can see the truth, or you're going to believe this guy. The only way you'll believe the truth is if God has given you that spiritual life. That's what we've learned in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Some of y'all can probably quote that, but we'll turn to it and read it for a bit accuracy. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But the natural man, your carnal man, when you're born dead in trespasses and sins, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto, unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay? You have to be given spiritual life to perceive them. All right? So, this individual whose comings after the works of Satan with power and lying wonders and signs and with all deceivableness, he's going to be believed by them that perish of the unrighteousness all deceivableness of unrighteousness and then that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved they could not receive it right. and this expression is often used in the book of Acts to describe the difference when you've got the same message that's delivered to two different groups, or two, the same group, and you've got two different reactions, right? One that hear it and receive it and follow it and believe it and go forward. That's what you can see happens. And those who say, nope, you're a heretic. I, I kind of want to kill you. <laughs> or at least run you out of town or ignore you. Or maybe we'll talk to you some other time, but there's those who receive it and those who don't. It's there. It is a look at the effect, Okay? Not the cause. Okay? The cause is because of what's going on inside them that they can hear it or not. Okay? And for this cause, 
God shall send them strong delusion. That strong means an effective delusion. This lie, this fraudulence, that they should believe it. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Damned means condemned. That at that last day, when there's the throne, it's going to be a description of what was believed. You believed the truth. You believed the lie. It's going to be universal, one way or the other. What else do we know? He's currently working. He's not Satan. He's been given powers. He is actively and will actively stand opposed to everything pertaining to God, big G and little g, and anything that's worshipped, big G, little g, and gods. This description here, normally when you see the Greek word for our God, the God, it uses an article. It goes, the God, the God. This word here of anything that is called God is just just the word God. It can just mean a deity. So it could even be a false God. This guy, this spiritual creature, is going to exalt himself as being, being the real God and puts himself up over higher than anything that's worshipped, whether that's by Christians or anybody else. Okay? Opposeth, he stands contrary to, adverse, actively opposing. You can't be the God because I am. It's kind of a scary message, right? This is a pseudo Christ. This is a false Christ. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. Anything that um, pertains or relates to God or godliness, and I think that goes beyond real or imagine gods, or all that is worshipped. So, so because he's setting himself up so high, and that word exalted means to raise yourself up, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So he's exalting himself, he's actively opposing, and here you've got the idea that he is showing off that he is God. He's trying to say, I'm God! Worship me. I'm exhibiting it. I'm demonstrating it. All right? So this is not what I would describe as that being an antichrist, of saying that Christ isn't real. This is somebody who wants you to worship them as God. And folks are going to believe the lie. So he will sit in the same manner as a God, like God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself. And the unrighteous are going to believe it. Now, does that verse say that he's going to literally be sitting in a temple in Jerusalem? I don't know. There's a lot of different descriptions for temples. Some are spiritual, some are physical. I don't have an answer on that. But it says that he is going to try and pose that he is God. And he's going to be believed. And what's his end? His end is the Lord Jesus is going to come back. You've got your major mile markers. You've got this massive falling away. You've got this delusion that people are following after. And this guy, that he's the God, well, the real one's going to show up. And he's going to consume him and destroy him with the brightness of his com- coming. And his coming, that coming means being near. 
he's here, all right? He's going to put him down. All right? Go back to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Let's pick up where we left off. All right? We had the, the severe persecution. He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. That witness means, it means a testimony, a record. You've heard the truth, but they're still going to believe the lie. Verse 15. When ye therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let him which be in, the, in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return to take back his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that, are, that give suck in those days. But pray that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath days. For then shall the great, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here's Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and they shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect, or especially the elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they say unto you, Behold, he's in the desert. Saying as if Christ is in the, de in the desert. Go not forth. Behold, he's in the secret chambers. Believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth unto the west, so shall also the coming of man be. When Christ comes, it's going to be a very public coming. This is not a private affair. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, there'll be other things. We won't go any farther for right now. So, you have this conversation that Jesus is having them. And he's giving it sequentially that this will happen, and then they shall afflict you. That's the beginning of sorrows. And then they'll afflict, afflict you. Um, he that endures shall save. And the gospel is going to be preached all over. When you see the abomination of desolation, then you know you need to flee from Judea and, and run because after that there shall be the great tribulation, such that was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor shall ever be. I don't believe this is talking about the Romans destroying the temple in 70 AD. Did they actually destroy it? Yes, they did. But this description of there being such suffering that has never happened in the history of the world, nor will happen ever worse, I don't think that qualifies. And except those days be shortened, there shall no flesh be saved. For, but for the elect's sake, there shall be, they shall be shortened. So 
it's going to be so bad that except for God saying, all right, that's enough, everybody would be dead. Then if any man say unto you, lo, here's Christ, and then uh, believe it not, for there shall arise many false Christs and false prophets and shall sow great signs and wonders, trying to deceive. Does this sound more familiar? You've got two references here. You've got this guy, the abomination of desolation. That's a pretty bad title. It says it's referenced in the prophet Daniel. And here are those who are showing signs and wonders, having power to perform miracles, trying to deceive. Right? I think we're talking about the same major landmark here. Okay? So he's standing in the holy place. Again, could that be standing in a physical temple that's rebuilt in Jerusalem? Maybe. And it's talking about those who are in Jerusalem. They should flee at that time. Um, I don't have a definitive answer on that yet. But this is describing that after that, it's going to be the, the worst. The great, um, great period of uh, affliction, worse than anything has come before. All right, so we get this reference to Daniel. The uh, abomination and desolation. So go back to Daniel chapter 8. Everybody still with me so far? Daniel chapter 8. For the sake of time, I'm not going to look at the dream itself. I'm just going to look at the interpretation that was told Daniel. Um, an angel comes to explain. Because Daniel had the dream. He didn't understand what it meant. So someone came and uh, explained it to him. And so here it is, and starting in verse 23, it says, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, and let's just pause on that expression, that when the transgressors are come to the full, I think that's referring to when the transgression of the non-elect has come to its completion, and it's time to wrap things up. The idea back in Old Testament days of when they were going to go into Canaan, it wasn't during the days of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, um, and the reason God said is because the transgression of the Canaanites hadn't come to full yet. It wasn't time. But in his own time, he came and he came and brought the judgment upon those people and brought in his people and gave them the land. And all that's a type for the real. Right? The wiping out of all the wicked and giving the new heaven and the new earth to his people. All right. So, in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgression shall come to full, a king of fierce countenance understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. Who's that sound like? The guy who's been given powers of Satan? And he shall destroy wonderfully and prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and holy people. And through his policy also shall he cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace or prosperity shall destroy many. And he shall stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. All right, so we've got an individual who's using borrowed powers. Right? He's got the ability to destroy or cause ruin or destruction. Um, that word to prosper, that means to push forward, to conquer, to have that which... Uh, you're in control of. Um, to prosper, destroy the mighty and holy people. His policy, um, that, that implies his, his success and what he's doing. Um, and his craft shall prosper. Craft means fraud, 
deceit, guile, that which is deceiving people, it said that's going to be successful. He's going to push forward in that. And by peace, or security, or quietness, he shall destroy or ruin many. Right? So you've got one who's got powers. He's working with delusion. He's got wonders. Um, he's causing great persecution against the holy people. All this sounds like this pattern that we're looking at. He's exalting himself against God. So he's going to stand opposed to the prince of princes. Well, who's that? That's the Lord Jesus. But what's his end result? He shall be broken without hand. Does that sound like the Lord's going to be very hard to wipe him out? No. Does that all sound like we're talking about the same individual? It does to me. Okay? He's going to exalt himself as if he's uh, standing opposed to God and he's going to be broken without hand. Alright. You've been waiting for it. The Revelation chapter 13. Why, why didn't we start in Revelation? Because I think it's best to start with that which is the clearest. Jesus teaching, this is going to happen, and then this, and then this. I feel like that's your framework. And then you plug in a vision that was seen and see where does that overlap, rather than going to the vision. Because what happened back in Daniel? He had a vision. Daniel's a pretty wise fellow. But he needed somebody to interpret it. And so, if Daniel needs an angel or somebody to interpret visions, then I need to proceed very cautiously with giving my own interpretation, unless it's Scripture speaking for itself. Okay, So I don't start with the vision. I start with... Here's plainly what's revealed. You know, Timothy, it said, The Spirit speaketh expressly this. Well, I can take that to the bank. I know exactly what that means. So, given that idea, start with what's clear and then see the patterns in the visions. Well, here's the vision, and we're going to jump in the middle for the sake of time, and we can talk more about this later. Um, But in chapter 13, you have what I'm going to describe as a scene that you've got a series of events in Revelations that are going sequentially. You can see it and then, and then, and then, and then, and then there's a pause. And you have a series of scenes where he sees these visions, but the visions are so broad, it covers things that have already happened and things that are yet to happen. And then later, it'll pick back up with the sequence. So right now, we're in that pause. And how do I know there's a pause? Because in the previous chapter, you see the birth of Christ and him going up to heaven. You know this has already happened. Okay? So, verse 13, Just this, I stood upon the sand of the sea. This is the, you know, I wrote over here, just, just scene two. Like previous in chapter 12 was I've just seen one. I saw the sign, you know, a great wonder appeared in heaven. Well, here now I'm standing on the sand of the sea. All right? This is what John saw. And I saw a beast. And we use that term beast and it's overused in our culture. The word just means a dangerous animal. Okay? This is a symbol it's going to have attributes about it. This is not what the guy is going to look like. If you saw somebody with seven heads and horns and everything, you'd run away. You wouldn't be deceived and see and think, oh, I want to worship that. right? So this is just a symbol. But here's how he's described. I saw a dangerous animal or beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Now this um, description that we're going to go on of his, it describes his body. The beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth was like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat, or where he sits with authority, and great authority. Okay, now, what exactly the description of this, the characteristics mean? 
I'm not exactly sure. You can go back to see Daniel in the previous chapter in 7 where it describes four beasts that have these similar things. And so here it's combined into one and the angel gives some information about what horned things meant there. Does it all exactly overlap here? I don't know. Um, And so I'm not going to go into it because I don't know yet. Um, But I've got an individual here who's coming up out of the sea. I know that the dragon, now the dragon is Satan. I know that explicitly from chapter 20. Revelation 20, verse 2. He laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan. Who's the dragon? The dragon is Satan. The dragon gave his power to this individual, this spiritual creature, and gave him his seat, sitting in his you know seat of authority, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. And that word wounded means slaughtered. Okay? This is not, oh, you've got a little nick, and we'll put a band-aid on it in your bed. No, this is something, the wound was so bad that folks thought it was dead. Okay? But his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast, right? What is that? That's a miracle, right? Signs and powers. Folks are going to believe because there's going to be something extraordinary. So I thought he was dead. Something about, you know, he's got seven heads. Exactly how that will look when, when it happens. I don't know. But I do take comfort in the fact that he's revealed right now. So it's really not up to me to unreveal him. But I can look and see what the vision says, see what we can learn from it. And that's where I feel like we get a little off base of trying to say, well, this is exactly what it means in our time. If you go read commentators 200 years ago, the things that looked the most like that, you know, they'd say the same thing, but we don't know. Okay? And so don't get wrapped up with trying to say, this is exactly how it will play out. God knows, and the secret things belong to Him. But we are instructed to not be fearful, not to be shaken in what we believe and the truth, and so we've got to be grounded in there's a blessing for being in the Word, even in the things that are hard and weighty. Okay? So, I saw his head, you know, wounded. All the world wondered. They were marveling at it. And what they do? They worshipped. They worshipped the dragon, which gave the power to the beast, and they worshipped the beast. And what they say? Saying, Who's like unto the beast? Who's able to make war with him? They found a champion. You want to be on the strongest team side, right? Well, you see that guy, someone who's able to appear to have a resurrection, someone who claims to be God, they want to be on his side. If there's a battle, we want to follow that guy. And who's going to be believing this? The unrighteous, the wicked. And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given to him to continue 42 months. Right, so about three and a half years. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and to them that dwell in heaven. So he's spouting out and standing opposed, exalting himself over all that is God. Him, his name, his temple, the real temple in heaven. Maybe there's a physical one on earth. Maybe that's where he's standing when that kicker happens in Matthew 24. And then that dwell in heaven, all those who are with Christ already. They sleep in Christ. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. We talked about that persecution back in 24 of Matthew. 
given him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, to consume them. And power was given over him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. He was conquering, going forward. Sounds like a very broad authority that he's going to rise up to. And all they that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Okay? If it stopped right there, that would be a very scary and distressing verse. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. We believe in those strong shalls, right? But what's the caveat? All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The book of life belongs to the Lamb slain, and everyone whose names are written in there are called his elect, his children. So any of those children who are still alive at this time, they're not going to worship him. But all the non-elect, they're going to believe this strong delusion, and they're going to worship him without fault. Not without fault, without exception. Right? If any have an ear, let him hear. Right? So if you've got a spiritual ear to understand that truth, good, understand it. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. This is what Satan was doing. This is what sin's doing. He that leads into captivity, he's going to go into captivity. That's the end result. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. All right? So you've got this individual. And then you've got a second individual. I beheld another beast, another dangerous animal, coming up out of the earth. So the first one came out of the sea. This one came out of the earth. He had two horns, like a lamb... And he spake as a dragon. So what's the appearance here is you've got a similitude of a lamb. You ever heard an expression, uh, wolf in sheep's clothing? This is the epitome of it. This individual is going to look and appear to have that form of godliness of being a follower of God. But what's he going to speak like? The dragon. Speaking after Satan. Elsewhere, this individual will be described as a false prophet. Alright? A scarier word you might want to see is this guy is going to look like a preacher. Okay? He had two horns. Significance of the horns, I don't know. Like a lamb. Looked like a lamb, similar to a lamb. He spake as a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast. So your first individual there who had the power given from Satan, this guy was able to use that and cause the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So you've got the prophet building up and marketing and selling this first guy, this son of perdition, the wicked, And they're worshiping him. And he, the prophet, doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. That's a little scary. Back in the Old Testament, that was how Elijah proved who was the God, right? You have the battle between um, Balaam's worshipers and Elijah. Bring down fire. And they couldn't. Here, this guy is going to be allowed to do that kind of Miracle. I don't think this is just going to be pyrotechnics and fake stuff. I think this is, there is a power and force that has been allotted 
that God allows Satan to have, and he's here given to this individual, and it will be a strong delusion. It will be very persuasive. And deceived them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had the power to do in the sight of the beast. So he's in the beast's presence in front of him. Um, he was able to do these, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by the sword and do live. Okay, so you've got the beast, you've got his prophet, and now they're going to make an image, something that looks like it. And they're going to do it. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. All right, this is getting, we're already beyond strange, right? But So this image, this thing that's made, is going to be able to come to life and speak. And if you don't worship it, it will cause you to be killed. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar's little statue seems friendly in comparison, right? If you didn't bow down, they would pick you up and throw you into the fire. Well, this one's the statue's going to speak and tell you to be thrown in the fire or killed of some manner. He had power to give life unto the image of the beast, and the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand and in their foreheads that no man might sell, buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here in his wisdom, let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for as the number of a man, his number is six hundred, three score, and six. Alright? So, folks can get bent out of shape and worry about, oh, am I going to receive the mark of the beast? If you're an elect, you won't. But if you're not, you're going to believe this delusion and you're going to be clamoring for it. It's not something that's going to be forced upon you or tricked upon you. Who's able to make war with him? We want him on our side. It's going to be the attitude. All right? So, what's the end result of this joker? The Lord's going to come and he's going to consume him by the brightness of his coming. Go to Revelation chapter 16. No, 17. Actually, we'll back up just a minute. 16. We're going back into our sequence. You had the sequence with seals. You had the sequence with trumpets. And now you're back in the sequence with vials. 777. One of the vials, these last, last plagues that the Lord's going to pour out. The fifth one in 16 and 10 says, The fifth he poured his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues for pain. So you can see this is even before Christ has returned that there is um, already that which is being poured upon, specifically that beast and the seed of his power which the dragon had given him. Fast forward to 17. Well, let's read down a little bit because we've got to tee it up. What was the response to all this pain? They continued to blaspheme God. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sore deeds and repented not of their deeds. You're not going to see any example of the non-elect repenting. They continue to double down and blaspheme and hate. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. All right, so you know how Canaan was dried up so people could walk into it on several occasions and the, the river Jordan? Similar thing here, only 
it's the big river Euphrates, it's going to dry up and you're going to have kings that are coming through. You know what they're coming for? The final battle. That's what we're about to, to see. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs go out of the mouth of the dragon and the mouth of the beast and the mouth of the false prophet. What were those frogs? They are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle to that great day of God Almighty. Okay? So there's going to be this delusion. There's going to be the belief. There's going to be these spirits that are going to go out and they're going to encourage everybody to come. Hey, we're going to have us a battle. Who can go to war with the beast? You're on his side. Come and fight. The river's already been cleared, so it's easy to get there. And there's going to be a gathering. And you know, there's this pause where it says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So it's like Jesus is stopping and pausing and saying, I'm talking to y'all. Verse 16, And he gathered them together in a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Ever watched that movie and wondered how that got to be talking about an asteroid? I don't know. It's talking about the last last battle here. It's actually the second to last battle. A little spoiler there. All right. And then the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. Um, and the great voice came out of the temple, the throne, saying, It is done. All right. So I'm going to pause and jump forward to chapter 17. And you see this. Um, nope. Not 17. 19. Going to zoom in on the destruction of um, Babylon, but we're going to go to 19 and see Christ in verse 11. 19:11. Behold, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head was many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed in vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. That's how we know who we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. All right. Um, just talking about reading well. You know why the KKK dress their horses up in white sheets? Because they can't read well. Okay. It's talking about the individuals riding the horses were wearing the white garments, just like every other time in Revelation. Not the horses. The horses were white. Um, so, anyway. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. This is God, right? This is Jesus. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, which with he shall smite the nations and rule them with a rod of iron. Go back to Second Thessalonians and look at our description there. Just pause. Keep your finger there. For the Lord shall come and consume with the spirit of his what? His mouth. Here you've got the Lord. Um, out of his mouth goeth the sharp sword. And we were introduced to the sharp sword earlier in Revelation. There's a lot that's wrapped up into this. I'm sorry, I don't have time to unwrap it all in one go. But he shall smite the nations, rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God, of Almighty God. All right. Go on down, verse 17. You've got the angel standing in the sun. He cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves unto the supper of the great God that ye may eat the flesh of kings and of captains and the mighty men and the flesh of horses and them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, free and bond, small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. So you've got these armies that are gathered thinking they're on the winning side. 
They've got the beast. They've been deluded. Who's who's able to make war with him? Harry, you know, was slaughtered once and he came back. And what's the end result? 20. And the beast was taken. He was snatched up. And with him, the false prophet that wrought those miracles before him, that before the beast, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and then that worshipped his image. Well, what had happened to both of them? These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. That's the downfall. That wicked one, that's the end result. You're introduced to the first two inhabitants of the lake of fire. And what happens to the rest of the armies? And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, and and which the sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. All right? Fowls aren't eating spirits. This is physical bodies. All right? So all those that were gathered in the armies were slain. Right. So go back to Second Thessalonians and let's read it one more time and we'll wrap up. And I know this has been long and intense. Start in verse um, verse, um, 3 of chapter 1 so you can see how it all flows together. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren. That is meet as your faith groweth exceedingly and the charity of every one of you toward each other aboundeth so that we ourselves glory in you in the church of God for your patience of faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Troubling you now? Well, receive tribulation in the end. And you who are troubled rest with us. When? When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance excuse me, on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. They're going to be put away from Him and everlasting destroyed. When He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony was believed, was among you was believed, in that day, wherefore also we pray for you always that our God would count you worthy of his calling, fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness, and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and ye in him, according to the grace of our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's pausing and saying, and this is how I want you to live here, and now, this is the end result, let him be glorified in how you live now. And two, and we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of the Lord Jesus, he's going to come, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, nor be troubled, wailing, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Regardless of how you're hearing it, don't be troubled. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there be a falling away first, and that 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 man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. 
Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth, what covereth, that he may be revealed in his time. You know what covers it. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Right? When did that beast come out? It's already happened. He's already come out of the sea, and he's working. He already works. Only he who now letteth covereth will keep it covered until he be taken out of the way, till he removes himself from the middle. Then shall that wicked be revealed, made clear. You'll be able to see whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, that sword of the spirit, his mouth, the sword, double-edged sword, and shall consume with the and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him, that individual, whose coming is after the workings of Satan, with all powers and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned or condemned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But, verse 13, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved, beloved of God, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning, for the foundation of the world, chosen you to salvation. That's the end result. He's chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. This is how He's going to grow you through here. Whereunto He's called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the end result. Better thing. Not deceived. Wherefore? Therefore. So because of that, do something. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Hold the traditions. And not traditions. Careful with that. It's not saying hold the primitive objects. It's saying hold the commandments. Those that you've received. The instruction. So just a general term. Hold the instruction that you've got. Stand fast. Hold that which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Hold on to that which is true. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Why do you need comfort? Because you've probably been hearing things that are leading you to be scared and upset and distressed or other things are just at hand. No. Stand fast. Stand fast in the truth. All that Christ has said is going to happen will happen. And He's the victor. And there's nothing that can overthrow it. There's nothing that can overthrow you or pluck you out of His hand. And so you don't have to be fearful. And in fact, we go through those great trials and tribulations. Okay. Here, that's a, that's a manifest token of God's righteous judgment that we're allowed to suffer for His kingdom. And what's the worst thing they can do? Kill you. And that's it. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Now, I don't think he's talking about this in a manner of like, if the persecution gets bad and they may start killing you kind of thing for Thessalonians. I think they'd already dealt with it. Back in the first letter, he's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep. He hadn't been gone that long. I don't think this is just the aging out process. I think the persecution was that bad that folks were already being killed because they were following Christ. The love of coal 
the love of many is going to wax cold there in that period of persecution when folks start betraying one another. Yeah, that one's a Christian. Who? Not me. That's when it's going to get real. Folks who are Christians in name only ain't going to stick around. There's no benefit for it anymore. But as bad as that all sounds, you still have a good hope, a great hope, and a great consolation that you're serving the winner, not deluded by the one who's going to lead many astray. Is all this kind of scary? Yeah. (laughs) It'd be even scarier if I didn't know how it ended. And I know who I report to. And so... The Lord forgive me if I've gotten any of his scriptures out of alignment chronologically, and I don't know if. This is the best understanding that I've got thus far. I'll go study. See what else we can find and glean and grow. But some of these are pretty straightforward things that we don't need to be upset about. And guess what? Regardless of the chronology of how everything plays out, our instructions are the same. Stand fast. Continue to serve. Don't abandon. Don't walk away. Don't allow your love to wax cold. I thank you.